0: So I, um, oftentimes I'll uh, end up like getting my final thoughts together for my sermons on Saturdays. <clears throat> I have been working on it for some time, but then it'll all come together then. And so we had the men's retreat this week and like I, I got everything done a bit earlier and it was crazy to see how God was just showing a bunch of stuff from this week's sermon at different events that I went to. One of the events was uh, a comedy show I went to on Thursday, and it was a fun time, and the con- comedian was just talking about how like, how, like you, you have a setup, and then, then the people are tracking with you in a story, but the goal of the comedian is to take the story somewhere you just didn't even in- expect And and hit you with a joke that makes you laugh, even though it was not what you expected. And I had already actually wrote something like that when I prepared the sermon this week, because chapter 13 in the book of Nehemiah is something that you don't expect when we've been talking about revival. And when I say expect, I mean, you know how stories build, right? Like the princess is looking around and she's trying to find her prince, and everywhere she looks, she searches, she can't seem to find him. And then she remembers: wait, what about the one enchanted forest? And guess what ends up happening? She finds the prince. You know, we we know the stories, you know, but this one is a it's a, it's a little different. It would be it would be like it would be like if. You have the child in the school and she's brilliant, but she's not living up to her potential. So she just doesn't listen to anyone. Her grades are horrible. And then somehow she might get the super scholarship if she turns it all around. And so the the amazing teacher comes in, somehow gets through that hard heart and she begins working hard. And she begins to demonstrate and show her brilliance and she takes from F's and D's and she's getting B's and A's and it comes down to the last test, the last test of the school year. And if she does well on this test, there's a full ride waiting for her. And she walks up to the door about to go into the school to take the test and some friends say, why don't we just skip class, go drinking and get pregnant? And she says, Yes, story over. Stupid, right? <laughs> Foolish, right? That's not the build up you were thinking about. The other options that are presented seem crazy. That's kind of how Nehemiah chapter 13 is gonna sound to you today. We have been building each week looking through Nehemiah. And if you're new here, we actually cover a book in its entirety. We go chapter by chapter and discuss God's word. And this week, as we get into chapter 13, Nehemiah, I didn't read it beforehand because you would have been bothered half of the time. Like, how is he going to explain this? So I'm going to unfold it sequentially and try to unpack it as we go through it. But there's a Uh, A a beautiful image of Nehemiah Nehemiah being used by God to be that teacher, to be the one that says you might have some foolish opportunities and you might make some stupid choices. But you know what? I'm going to cut you all off at the parking lot. You ain't going nowhere. I'm going to fight for you. So dive in with me, if you will. We're going to look at Nehemiah chapter 13. Let me pray for us. God, allow your word to speak to us. Use your word in a way that lets us know the beauty of who you are, but also, as uh, Pastor Fickray said, whose we are. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. We are in this book and. And if you have lived in Detroit for some time, or even if you just happened to drive through on your way to this church, you might have seen an abandoned house. I know you only saw one because we only have one abandoned house in all of Detroit. But let's say the one abandoned house you saw has been abandoned for three years. That means there's been windows gone, doors gone, hot, cold. Hot, cold, hot, cold. And for some reason, a person buys this new house. And when they buy the new house, they go to town on the outside. I mean, cut the grass, all those bushes, take it down, make the grass and landscape beautiful, redo the siding, put aluminum siding on the whole thing, paint, new windows. They put a door on this thing that's beautiful oak. With a nice golden finish, you know what I'm saying? The outside of this thing looks amazing. Would you move in? Would would you would you go ahead and get the U-Haul? Let's go, friends. Time to time to move in. Let's, let's, let's wait a minute. Nothing's taking place internally. You see, that's that's the environment that Nehemiah is riding in when he prepares to 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 bring forth revival he's saying man the people of God were disobedient the people of God were disobedient God loved them and they chose their own ways chose not to listen and so what happens the people get displaced they get moved but God does some great things in working through Maya Nehemiah and working through the people and the temple gets rebuilt and the community gets rebuilt But you know what's not rebuilt yet? Hearts. The house looks good on the outside. Community looks good on the outside. It's one of the reasons we talk about even as a church. We are a church that's excited to see transformation happen. I pray, we pray for Zeke and our team all the time. We're trusting Christ is going to do some great things through Mac Development, through Mac Alive, through all these nonprofits. But if our entire community looks amazing, but folks don't love Jesus, we have failed. And that's kind of what we're coming into as we're reading Nehemiah. And so while Nehemiah sees a whole community and city rebuilt, he still wants to see revival happen in the hearts of the people. And so what is revival? Revival, we said, is like if God's presence was right here, you got saved, you clung, clung. I keep saying that word, but we're you are hold tightly to God. You are close to God. There is a connection, an intimacy, a love with God that is right here, intimate. I can smell them. I can taste them. I can feel them. His presence is real. And then over time, as my faith, which is real, begins to lull as I make wise choices and then foolish choices. And then foolish choices and foolish choices, then a wise choice. Then foolish, then foolish. And what happens over time is this this realness that was so close and present Becomes to just feel distant, feel a a, a bit of disconnected, feel this need to be rebirthed, reborn, made alive again. And that's what revival is. Revival is an awakening, a new life that takes place where you're right back to that intimacy that you had with God, awakened again. And so that happens through as, we, as we've been going through Nehemiah in this series, and every week, y'all, that I announce Megan making this beautiful sign for her church for free, she's not here. But I don't care. I'm going to say it again. I'm thankful to our sister making this amazing sign. But I hope you see that, that it is not an image of one person. It's an image of a community and revival is something that goes throughout the community, caring for all. And so, in the beginning of chapter 8, verse 1, the first aspect of revival, and and, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm trying to, Nate's probably going to be like, this don't work, and Matt too, but we'll see. All right, here we go. Come on, Holy Spirit. So, you got, um, <laughs> you know, you got a, a person that has a cardiac arrest, or they have like, a certain illness take place. And what they do is they call in the defibrillator and they say, okay, get ready. Nobody touch them. That's Mr. Miyagi, but y'all know what I'm doing. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) You, You get the thing together and they like, clear, boom. Now, it's a shock of electricity. Who in here that's awake wants to be shocked by electricity? Nobody. We're awake. We're doing good. But the person whose heart stops, the person who seems dead, the person who needs to be awakened needs a shock. And so revival is that shock that's coming to God's people to wake them up again, bring new life into them. And God does that with a list, with a number of things. And that list starts in 8.1 of Nehemiah, where he says, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. It starts with God's word. I believe in experience. I believe in the presence of God. I believe in miracles. But I'm thankful that God says that happens But if you want a formula, start in my word. If you want to see what you can depend on, what you can trust in, what you can count on, start by my word. Because it describes the beauty of who I am and what you can trust in. But then in verse 10, he says, and do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So first we start with with this, this getting into God's word. And second, we start with that word bringing forth a joy in us. And you know what it's like when Christmas comes around. There's a, an excitement, a build up, and then Christmas Day, you actually get the gift. What? You get the gift when the gift actually is received, and you get to hold that thing, play with that thing, and celebrate that thing. Christmas is joyous and fun, and that's what happens here. The people realize we get God. We get the gift. And so while his character is holy and while his character is so different and while we realize by reading his word all the ways we don't measure up and the way we fail and the way we've disobeyed, we get God. And so we stand with joy, and they stand with joy. And he even has to tell them Wait, wait, wait. Don't bow down in grief. Don't be sad. I know your character's jacked up. I know y'all been disobedient, but right now, be joyous. Your joy is in the Lord. I got to quit wiping on my feet on that. Um, and so their joy is in the Lord. And so we, we went through each week. And for my friends, that's your first time. You're catching up on the last chapter, a summary of a whole book. So I want to encourage you, if you can, go back and listen. Uh, but I'm going to run through a list of the different ways in which revival is expressed and electrifying to the person who needs to be awakened. It started with God's word. It started, it next has a a joyous experience. It happens in community. That, That God is setting a fire and awakening his people, not just one person. And so we as a community do life together in this way. That God in doing so is causing us, calling us to live lives that are a bit different. That we are not to reflect the world and look like the world, but we are set apart for his glory and his purposes. That we understand his promises. So we're in a covenant with God that he's made promises to us as our father. And we can depend and believe on those promises. That's that's a great awakening. That's a, 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 a shock to your system that lets you know, man, his steadfast love endures forever. But he calls us to have, and we're going to see kind of the breakdown of marriage as we get into this text. But he causes us to say, I want my glory to take place within your home. And the way in which you do that is to have two people that worship me become one. So I'm calling your marriage to glorify me. I'm calling you to be separate from the world and not not marry people with beliefs that are totally contrary to me. I'm calling you to rest. We'll see see that play out later in this chapter, too. But I'm calling you to rest, not only because I've modeled rest, but because I know what's good for you. And, And a healthy rhythm of rest will actually model that you trust me more than even your own effort. And that our brother Matthew just preached last week, the beauty and value of each member within the community. And the stories God uses to show his grace and sovereign hand in the lives of people. So all of that was the was the the build up to chapter 13 that has the potential of ending horrible. But God uses our brother Nehemiah. All right. Join with me. Verse one. Y'all ready? All right. Lift your hand if you're ready had to do that because all my brothers, I told y'all, we went to sleep at two in the morning. So, so we always sleep, we sleep. All right, here we go. Verse one, on that day, they read the book of Moses in the hearing of the people, and it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God, for they did not meet the people of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. Yet our God turned the curse into a blessing as soon as the people heard the law, They separated from Israel and those of foreign descent. What is this reference? It's basically talking about when the people of Israel, and you can look in Numbers chapter 22, the people of Israel are coming out of Egypt. And and these Ammonites and Moabites see them, and they're like, man, that's a lot of folk. You see how many folk that is? That's a lot of folk. Those folk might try to take our stuff. You know what? Why don't we hire this brother to put a curse on them so that they can be jacked up and we can rule over them? But God doesn't let his people receive this curse and actually uses this whole situation to bless his people. But what is what's happening here is kind of a name drop. You got you ever had uh, some people that's like your enemies. God bless you, brother. Some folks that did you wrong. It would be like, you know, like, like, you know, dang. Stephen and James, they like stole your car, man, and your wallet. And now they're sitting in your living room. You know, it's like, hold on, man. Like, like this is, it's a, it's a name drop for a situation that's going to happen so that when you hear this situation, their past unhealthiness makes that situation even crazier. Okay. So keep reading with me. Starting in verse four. Now, before this, Elisha, the priest who was appointed over the chambers of the house of our God, and who was related to Tobiah, prepared for Tobiah a large chamber where they had previously put the grain offering, the frankincense, the vessels, and the tithes of grain, wine, and oil, which were given by commandments to the Levites, singers, and gatekeepers, and the contributions for the priests. While this was taking place, I was not in Jerusalem, for in the 32nd year of Adaxerces, king of Babylon, I went to the king and after some time I asked to leave, I asked leave of the king and came to Jerusalem. And then I discovered the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah, preparing for him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. And I was very angry and I threw all the household furniture of Tobiah out of the chamber. Then I gave orders and they cleansed the chambers and I brought back their vessels of the house of God with the grain offering and the frankincense. You are you, uh, the, 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 the parents now have have seen this and have done this future parents. You this will probably happen to you. Be ready. So you'll say to your kid, OK, now I want you to go upstairs. When you go upstairs, I've already set out the cleaning items. What I would like you to do is use the items I set out. I'd like you to clean, clean your room, clean your bathroom, clean the things I've showed you. Now, you downstairs as a parent, you hear playing going on, video games turned up, jumping on the bed going on. So when you got to those steps and you say, don't make me come up there, that, that's the warning right that's the that's the okay i've set it all up for y'all to do well, but now y'all are making me have to come on up out of what I was doing to enter into y'all mess of being disobedient that that's what's happening with nehemiah Nehemiah went back he he got everything in place he put in confession he put in giving he put in um uh Covenant. He put in reading of the word. He said, "Okay, I got the people set up. Y'all are ready. I'm going to go back to my job. Let's roll with the king. And then he gets word. He gets word that in the house of the Lord, some rooms set aside that are for special items like frankincense, like grain, things that are going to care for the people and be used to worship God. Somebody then then leased out the room to a brother that don't even love, don't even love God. Now this brother's hustling out of the room of the church. King, I need a vacation because I because I got to go back. I I got to get back there now. Now I have to go and come back to my people. That are cutting up. And so this is this is the scenario that brings him back. And is why he doesn't say I came back slowly. I came back carefully. I just wanted to come check in my people. He says, I came back very angry. Because this is how you are treating and doing the house of the Lord. And so what does he do to purify things? Picks it up, throws it out. He, he, he comes this, this Nehemiah in chapter 13 Is a Nehemiah That's like, like uh, Uncle Junebug This isn't Nehemiah That's like Uncle David Or Uncle Richard Or Uncle Steve Because when Uncle Steve comes he has a plan He speaks kindly to everybody Uncle Junebug is the uncle That's going to get it done But you know when he comes he has some unorthodox Methods when he shows up, there's no telling what Uncle Burke's bringing with him. <laughs> but everything gets in order. This is the way that Nehemiah is coming in. He's coming in with some unorthodox methods, and he throws everything out. He gets, he gets angry that the house of the Lord would be treated in this way. And we see, we've seen this in our Savior, Right? In Matthew 21, something somewhat similar happens. Verse 22, Jesus says, excuse me, it says, and Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. Jesus himself. Saying, I want to see worship happen in my home and when, when other things begin to fill this place, when other priorities take place, I will do what I need to to set order. This is nowhere near a direct connection, but I do think it has implications for us. Because now, while I pray, we will all still have a posture that sees this building as reverent. And and we are reverent. Uh, We see a a certain um, activities that should happen in this church should be holy and should be God honoring. The highest call, though, is that would happen in our lives as people. In First Corinthians, chapter six. Verse 19 and 20, Paul says these words. He says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. I see Nehemiah getting mad at the way the temples treated. I see Christ getting mad at the way the temple is treated. And I wonder what things do we store up in our hearts that have God like, man, my spirit dwells there in the temple that is your body. And are you clearing house? Are you allowing the spirit to take away things that are not bringing me glory? Are you holding on to some aspects of things that you want to see worshiped? When God says, I'm trying to get rid of that from you, it's a temple. The spirit dwells in his family. This could have been a bad ending had Nehemiah come back. It could have have killed all of revival when we started the place that's supposed to represent God. We started using that as 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 a mini mall where people could just set up shop. But Nehemiah comes back and gets the house in order. Continue with me in verse 10. I also found out that the portions of the Levites had not been given to them so that the Levites and the singers who did the work had fled each to his field. So I confronted the officials and said, why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their stations. Then all Judah brought the tithe of grain, wine, and oil into the storehouses, and I appointed as treasures over the storehouses uh, Shelemiah the priest, Zadok the scribe, Padaiah of the Levites, and as their assistant, Hanan the son of Zachor son of Mataniah, For they were considered reliable, and their duty was to distribute to their brothers. Remember me, O my God, concerning this, and do not wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for His service. It it is it is uh, it is one of those aspects of worship that uh, we have to just have a healthy understanding of, and it's giving. It's financial giving. It is if God has given us everything and we deem, we give God back our lives, we worship God with our lives, we say you can have all of me. You can have all of me. You can have all of me. But when it comes to my finances, I don't, I don't know, God. And, and hear me here. I, I do believe I do believe, well, you know, what? I want to allow a couple of scriptures to speak to us first. Matthew 23, 23 says this. It says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, and this is Jesus speaking, and hypocrites, for you tithe, mint, and deal in cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So notice he references tithing. But then he references the beauty of grace and mercy, and he could have said, stop the tithing, don't do that, just love people. But he he talks about the importance of giving, but not letting your gift get you off the hook for giving all of your life. We're still called to give all of our lives and our, our worship with our mouths, our worship with our posture, our worship with our minds and our worship with our pocketbook are part of it all. But there's a posture that accompanies that in Second Corinthians nine. It says this. It says this. Because I I believe that God wants us to see this as worship. And it is very tough to worship when our hearts are are not wanting to celebrate God. See, my giving can be 1% because I'm about to get kicked out of my house. Or it can be 90% because I'm just bawling like that. Either way, if my heart is truly not trying to worship God with it, we're missing a mark. We're missing the mark. And so Jesus is crazy enough to say, you got to decide in your heart. In your heart, how good have I been to you? With your giving, how good have I been to you? Now, I'm going to free you up to express that in your singing, to express that in your serving, to express that in your giving. And these people had not done that at all. He set it all up. Nehemiah set it all up for that to take place so that that could be an element of their spiritual workout, and they just played the Levites, played the temple, so much so that the Levites had to go to their field. That means they were so broke, they had to go out and start working the, working the plants, getting some grub, working themselves when, they were supposed to, when it was not set up for that to happen. We got to see this as worship. Continue with me in verse fifteen. Look, one of the things that uh, last month in, in October, you guys blessed me with a um, with a uh, uh a gift for pastors appreciation month. I actually, blessed my family, and uh, it was so so encouraging. Um, and so Jenny and I were talking. We're like, man, you know what? Like, why don't we? I actually think I'm going to defer to her. I think it was her idea, um, but I take credit for it. No, it was Jenny. Uh, and so it was like, why don't we send a gift card to every pastor in the one four that just says, we're thankful for you serving faithfully in the community. We pray you feel appreciated. Love MacAff, Pastor Leon. And we send him a gift card to the Commons. Now, you know what I'm trying to get that hook up? Get over to the Commons, you know what I'm saying? we hook up our spot. But why am I saying that? Why am I even mentioning that? One, because that's the posture of this body, is that we care for, encourage, and celebrate our community. But we cannot do that without the giving of people like you. And so your gifts are unto God. And then you, in a loving way, trust this elder team to be responsible. And that's why, you know, like February-ish, we let you know a whole budget that we're trying to play. But you guys trust us, try to lay out, but you trust us to lead and care and give in ways that allow this church to be an extension into the lives of people in this room, but also an extension out into the community. But those things happen when we see giving as a part of worship. Continue with me in verse 15. In those days, I saw in Judah people treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys and also wine, grapes, figs and all kinds of loads, which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them on the day when they sold food. Tyrians also who lived in the city brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the people of Judah and Jerusalem itself. Then I confronted the nobles of Judah and said to them, "What?" Is this evil thing that you are doing profaning the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers act in this way and did not our God bring all this disaster on us in this city? Now you are bringing more wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. As soon as it got began to grow dark at the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I commanded that the doors should be shut. And gave orders that they should not be opened until after the Sabbath. And I stationed some servants, some of my servants at the gates that no load might be brought in on the Sabbath day. Then the merchants and sellers, all kinds of wares lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice. But I warned and I said to them, why do you lodge outside the wall? If you do so again, I'm going to lay hands on you. From that time on, they did not come on the Sabbath. Then I commanded the Levites that they should purify themselves and come and guard the gates to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember this also in my favor. O oh my God. And spare me according to the greatness of your steadfast love. Family, this is a, uh, an example of, of, of disobedience. God is asking them to, to choose to obey him. And he's using Nehemiah and he's saying, Nehemiah, go back and tell them that they're messing up. I, I, get, I get frustrated when something small happens twice in a row. That, that just like, isn't like, like, if I'm reaching for this and I knock it down and I go to get it, and I knock it down again. I'm like, oh, come on, man. Get the water bottle. You know, like you get you get just like seriously, you know, and I have little kids and my kids will be like, hey, daddy, I'll give them like, OK, get the keys from me, get my hat. And they'll take my hat, throw it all the way past me. I'm like, Come on, man. And then they'll do the same with the keys. You know, it's just frustrating when things happen again. And Nehemiah's like, wait, don't you know why we're here? Don't don't you see where disobedience leads? We've 70 years, we've been kicked out of our home. Don't you know what your dads did? They didn't honor the Sabbath. And you want to come and start selling with people from other lands on the Sabbath? You're going to do the same thing? That's why he shows up with this anger. That's why he says, I'll even lay hands on y'all. That's why we see this is a different Nehemiah. He's frustrated. He's angry. He's mad. He's hurting. He sees his people going down the same road. And what is that road? It's a road that we have been on. It's a road where we say, God, you're in control of all things. You're sovereign. You raised Jesus from the dead. You conquered death. But you can't, you can't conquer my schedule. You can't conquer my time. You're not big enough for me to be able to take rest and still get everything accomplished that I need to, that I need to, that I want, that you're not, you can't make that happen. And so we don't rest. And so we struggle with resting. And God is saying to all of us, as he talks about the beauty of this Sabbath and as I am one of you, as we are one as I struggle with resting well, trust me. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Obey me. Rest and watch me show up. But choose not to rest and watch the consequences. And we see Nehemiah's coming and, and each time he'll say something like, oh, Lord. Like, look at me, have favor on me for trying to do good. It's not him boasting, saying, I'm the man right now. I just came to say today. It's him saying, Father, I tried to set it up well. It looks like it's gone falling in shambles. Would you have favor and see me as trying to put this ship back in the right order? Would you see me as trying to faithfully be committed to the point of, of, of grabbing people and saying, I need holiness from you. I need you to choose me. I need you to be obedient and so here comes the last section remember old girl came to the door and they invited her to uh go smoke weeds and get pregnant right it, it, get, it get it got it got a little crazy this is where it gets a little crazy join me verse 13 23 in those days also i saw the jews who had married women of ashad amon and moab Remember I said you had some enemies, your two enemies stole your car, they stole your wallet, and then we said they sitting in your living room. That, that's kind of, that's, that's 23 is letting you know that the people that had schemed against you, tried to put a curse on you, now we have Jews marrying them. Verse 24, and half of their children spoke the language of Ashad, and they could not speak the language of Judah but only the language of each people. And I confronted them and cursed them and beat some of them and pulled out their hair. And I made them take an oath in the name of God saying, you shall not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons or for yourself. Did not Solomon king of Israel sin on account of such women among the many nations? There was no king like him and he was beloved by his God and God made him king over all of Israel. Nevertheless, Nevertheless, foreign women made even him to sin. Shall we then listen to you and do all this great evil and act treacherously against our God by marrying foreign women? And one of the sons of Johadiah, uh, the son of Eliashib, the high priest, was a son-in-law of Sambalat the Horonite. Therefore, I chased him from me. Remember them, oh my God, because they have desecrated the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. Thus I cleansed them from everything foreign, and I established the duties of the priest and the Levites, each in his work, and I provided for the wood offering at appointed times and for the first fruits. Remember me, oh my God, for good. I, um... I'm, I'm, I'm married into a white family. My wife is black and white. So the side that I got to know really well was her mom's side, her white side. And so we would all go, and they they get together a decent amount, family reunions, celebrations at grandma's house. Um, they They kick it. And so... When we started getting together and I'm Leon coming with East Cleveland language, I would say stuff like, Hey, I'm finna go to the store. Leon, what's finna mean? (laughs) I'm like, oh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm 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 about to go to the store. And, were, and I wouldn't know it. It would, just, it would just come up out of me. I'm finna do something. Or, or I'm, I'm trying to think of like three or four other times that they were just like, what? Where you, where you, what? And then I'd explain it to them. And then they would get it. And we all on the same page. E- even in worship. Even in worship. Like the, the, the pastor's up here preaching. And I'm like, preach. And they're like, he is preaching. Like, <laughs> you know like uh, but but uh, okay this this is an affirmation that's me just saying he's doing a good job like like keep it up I'm with you I'm rocking with you and 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 family, what what has happened here is that some marriages have taken place in the marriages. The children are the fruit of the marriage. But because Jews have married these people that were their enemies and the children are now raised up in these homes, the children don't even know the language of the father. They don't even know the language of their God centered heritage. So, they don't even know how to worship the God who has created them. And so, he's mad and he does some stuff that I would never advise any pastor or prophet to do. He gets physical with people, but his anger, his anger is now a generation has entirely been lost. They don't even know how to describe the name of the God who has created them. A generation lost. And so, and so he responds in ways that none of us would would justify. And he, and he unpacks the purpose by which it happened. He says, look, it happened because of sex. Sex led to this. Even Solomon, great guy, amazing guy, awesome things. But towards the end of his God-centered career, he chose to kick it with a lot of women. And if you're, if you're misogynistic, then you can be present and be like, yeah, man, women are the downfall. Nope. We could have put anybody in that role. Because Satan is seeking to destroy marriages, period. So you best believe that there are men that want to tear apart uh, marriages and they seek to have women sin. So it was so it's clear he's saying the desire for sex led people to marry folks that didn't even love God. Actually, they were the enemies of God that tried to take advantage of the people. And what does he want to do? He wants to restore a sense of unity so that there can be worship that takes place first in the home. And then in the home, there is worship that can take place within the next generation. So he's struggling because he's looking at a generation lost. This is good for us. This is important for us. It is key for us. What language are we using to describe the beautiful God that has created us? Do you say things that are based on a Stevenson paradigm? Do you say things that are based on a on a Munukawa paradigm, even though they don't have kids yet? You know, are you saying things based or are you saying things based on God's word? Are you showing them the language of God? Are you showing them God's word, what he says, how he describes himself? And therefore, the next generation is saying the things that have been said for the generations previous so that this God can be revered, celebrated and lifted up. It's one of the reasons why the church exists. It's one of the reasons why I'm thankful for our our youth group. Because our, our youth group, I have seen kids in our youth group experience that I have not seen in church before. And yet some of our amazing leaders and others that serve with them are teaching them God's word. And I don't know everybody's background and story, but I did get a chance to meet one grandma and she was just thankful for the role that the church had played in the life of her grandson. Because based on the, the, the understanding I have of their family, God's word is not being taught within their family. And so the church is stepping in that gap. I'm thankful for that. And I pray that we as a community see that as one of our aims, that we are excited to dig in God's word, to grow in God's word so that the next generation may be cared for. But we also might have some some cleaning house of stinking thinking to do. With those that are that are that are coming to us and connecting with us and don't yet know the language of the father. Pastor, what is all this got to do with revival? You've been talking a lot, but you ain't say revival since the beginning of the sermon. I think God used this last chapter to show you the importance of endurance. That that you can start excited about revival, awakened, and then lose your steam. End up kicking it with somebody that you had nobody with, no, no business with. End up not coming and doing life in community. Be excited today, and then in a week, like, pff, give to the church, whatever. You know, back to clowning. It makes revival real, right? That, that revival isn't an experience that happens solely, but that when God starts working through his word, starts reminding you of covenants, starts showing you his beauty in community, starts empowering every person that we as a family have to say, we're going to take this baton and run the marathon. This is going to be a long journey and that we have to live out, work out, endure the beauty of this revival. I'm praying, family, that that's our reality, Second Timothy four, seven says this, and I think it sums up what, what we want to be about and what what I think it sums up what Nehemiah was saying in that last verse when he says, remember me, oh God, for good. I think it's I think it's captured here in second Timothy four, seven. It says, it says, I have fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness with the Lord, which the Lord the righteous judge will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Family, this is a fight to the end. God is the one who does the reviving, and then we get the beauty of living out what he has done in our heart, that he has brought us back to life, and we get a chance to live out that new life. There may be obstacles, there may be temptations. But let our faith in God, who has redeemed us from the grave. We talk about this Jesus. If it's your first time hearing who he is, our hope is in him because he's given us new life. Before him, we were addicted to sin. Before him, we were slaves to sin. Before him, we knew no good but our own. And it is his power that grabbed our heart and made us say, Lord, you are worth giving our all to. And if you are present and have, not, and have not yet made that decision, we invite you into that decision today. A new reality where you can experience freedom. Freedom from the bondage of self and the bondage of sin. Will you pray with me? Lord, we are thankful. Nehemiah's been a great, great series for us. We've learned a lot. But Lord, I pray that beyond just head knowledge, we would have heart knowledge. Hearts that want to love you, connect with you more, but also hearts that want to serve you. Let us do it with the right rhythm. Whether it's obeying Sabbath and resting in a way that honors you whether it's giving, whether it's reading our word, whether it's enjoying fellowship and being in community with one another. Lord, speak to us. You know what each of us need to do. Guide us. in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.